You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is... Well, apparently not, as always. Not always. always. Most days. (laughs) But it's good to be back, Jason. It's really good to be back. I have to say, uh, that Lance Mercer interview was outstanding. Hat tip to you, sir. Oh, thank you. You carried the mast all the way home. Salud. It's a oh, thank you. You and your Malbec, me and my uh, Anderson Valley Framboise Rose Ghost, <laughs> as you do. Sampler pack of Whole Foods. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. So we we I we I I spoke to to Lance. You in spirit through my body. I was summoning the Paul questions <laughs> through my bosom. And it, I, no, listen, it not only was it an absolutely stellar execution. I mean, that is how you do an interview, but. There was a lot of outstanding content that was reserved for Patreon only. Oh. So if you're listening and you are not a Patreon, just know that there are uh, all kinds of special goodies that await you when you do join. So what is it like? You had like an extra 20 minutes or something like that he, of content that I'll got tell you uploaded. What, we, um, I, I basically said goodbye on the show, and then he asked me a question, and that prompted another 15 minutes of chat. That bit will actually go out to patrons um sometime very soon uh as like another bonus thing that i, I mean free form with lance mercer yeah we were just we were just Unscripted. talking shop, yes. baby Get, and then he was yeah. kind enough after all that to stick around for another 20 minutes and talk about i think it was nine of his nine times from my ferris bueller fans um nine photos that he took that i just kind of chose at random that looked interesting to me from his website and he told me the story behind him it was like oh. that's so cool. The, the, these are pearls, ladies and gentlemen. Pearls. <laughs> yes. So if yeah, if you're if you're inclined to to get a little bit extra um, for a low low price of five dollars a month, come on down to Patreon, and that's the end of my shilling. Uh, but you yeah. can also for free, you could just feed that algorithm, baby. As yeah. as as our uh, I, w- what I think should be our our, our new PR spokesman. <laughs> Bob, you want, yeah, Bob, 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 jumping in on the Apple review. Bob from Vegas, baby. He, he, he's yeah, he's basically become the PR guy with his fabulous review on Apple's uh, uh, podcast platform there. So, if you want to leave a review, if you want to rate us, um, listen, this is it. Just gets the show in front of more eyeballs, and there are more fans out there than we think, than we see online, and every day. There's another listener or another follower on Twitter or something like that. And uh, it, it we, just expands the conversation. And that's really what everybody this is under about. the tent. Yeah. Yeah. That, that well, under one tent. It's a great way to look at it. Let's yep. just keep that campfire going. Uh, it's just a big old party with sometimes playing in the background. Right? Oh, yeah. And then eventually off he goes. <laughs> Cause we got to leave at some point. Anyways, we're back together. And uh, this week, you know, this this week is uh, the release of the final Brad record and the re-release to the day, 30 years later, of uh, Brad's first record, Shame. My vinyl came in a couple of days ago. It's 
clear. It's very. Hey. It, it sounds gorgeous, by the way. Yeah, I must say. And uh, and the Rockfords are playing a gig at the Showbox. Um, I think the next day, the 29th. So there's a lot of side things happening. Def Charlie just came out. A lot of side things happening. So we figured, why not talk about our favorite side project albums? Mm-hmm. Paul, what's what's the disclaimer, though? Because we were talking about this and like, there's probably what, like over a dozen LPs you could consider for this. Right. Across the that- band side project. There's, there's one that that feels like it probably shouldn't even be included. Right. And I think universally across the board, most, most of us, and when I say us, I mean you, me, and those wonderful people who are listening right now would probably agree that Temple of the Dog is by far the, the pinnacle, uh, side project from the members of Pearl Jam, any members of Pearl Jam. Uh, so we decided that, you know, r- rather than have the, the most anticlimactic <laughs> ending to yeah. this little, this little exercise that we would exclude Temple of the Dog mm. from our list of, of five. So, uh, let's just put a pin in that one and say, yes, yes, we agree. It is the, the holy grail of Pearl Jam side projects. But, uh, what else is out there behind that? And uh, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what most of those side, side projects are, but you may not. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, and we learned this through our, uh, our review contest not too long ago. Uh, the good people feeding that algorithm. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, how do I, how do I say this? Like familial connections in the sense mm. that you, you have listeners and listeners who have parents and parents who have kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And new generations are discovering the band each and every year. And I think for, for many folks, you know, that in and of itself is a rabbit hole to go down. Uh, the idea that there's extra content beyond that associated with all five band members is just a whole nother wormhole that I don't think some folks are even ready to, to go down. <laughs> Which is totally understandable. So some of this may be very new. It may be a, a, a wonderful, you know, e- e- exposure for for folks. But uh, I think, by and large, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you probably have heard of all of these albums before. But uh, which ones are the ones that we would say are, hey, these are the go to side projects, right? Yeah. So Temple of the Dog, universally agreed, that's number one. What do we got behind that, Jason? I'm going to pass the baton to you. Where would you go next? Oh, okay. Well, if we're going to start this bad boy off, um, looking, I guess, technically six through two instead of five through one, mm-hmm. um, you think about all five members, current members, and the different bands or different one-offs um, that they've done. Eddie has three, three records to pull from. There's five or six Brad records with stone. He has two solo records. Um, he's got two painted shield records. Uh, the number of bands that Jeff has is I, I lost count at this point. <laughs> um, R and Def Charlie trace fishes. Um, what else? Um, Matt third secret. Um, you can't count Soundgarden, of course. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Uh, and then let's go on. Uh, like I said, the, uh, the Rockfords earlier, Rockford, right. Mad Season. So there's a number of things you could you could choose from. Um, so boiling it all down, uh, here we go. Here's my fifth choice, and I'm gonna go with the second, third secret record. This record starts off similarly to the first one, but quickly detours 
into what I consider some familiar territory. You've got Kim Thiel, uh, partnered with uh, his buddy Matt Cameron yet again, so uh, half of Soundgarden's here, yeah. with uh, Chris Novoselich from Nirvana, and uh, two singers, two women. Um, their names are Jennifer Johnson and Jillian Ray. So this is the second record that the first one came out a year ago. This one just came out maybe in the last month. And I say that Kim and Matt are very present on this sophomore effort. The, the Soundgarden vibes are there, and I'm here for it. And you know, that said, Christopher Sells is certainly there. I think I appreciate his thud more than anything else. And I don't know how many riffs or melodies he wrote, but his bass presence is always so welcoming. It makes me feel kind of calm and centered. I think maybe because he was one of those low ends that kind of got me through my, my preteen and teenage years. <laughs> and I feel like the the lead vocals from Jennifer and Jillian are, are more assured than on the debut. I think they're more confident. And there were many times on the debut that they felt, for, for me, a little out of place, but they sound like they're really meant to be here this time around. And maybe it's because there's more rock than, for lack of a better term, folk. Um, I like this record more. It's, it's got a really good groove from front to back. Um, also, there were moments on the first record that I felt the songs were a bit too long in the tooth, or at least it felt that way. And at no point on this one did I look at running times. There are, in my opinion, the right amount of twists and turns, whether it's a new riff or a new groove from Matt or a solo break, whatever it is, this is the third secret record for the musical ADD in us, I think. Now, after Chris Cornell passed and Brandy Carlisle recorded those two Soundgarden songs for Record Store Day, uh, I thought I would 100% see a tour of Soundgarden with Brandy. And I still would. However, Jennifer and Jillian gave me just enough of that vibe. Not like uh, songs, obviously, but the vibe that if that combo tour never happened, I'd be okay. And it feels a little lazy to compare Jillian and Jennifer to heart when it comes to vocal harmonies, but considering how their voices sound and the punch of the music underneath them, I kind of can't get away from that. And I think that's okay. So overall, the record seems much more um, uh, congruent and it's got a little bit more bite to it, which when I think about Matt and Cam and Chris, that's what I think of. So I, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this record. A uh, second, third secret. I'm funny enough. I'm actually hovering in the same space, my friend. Third secret, third secret, April 9th, 2022 release. I mean, it is what I think is, uh, it, it, it's funny. You listen to Gigaton and you, you hear a song like, uh, take the long way and you get a sense of like what does guest vocals sound like what what does a female voice sound like on a Pearl Jam record and we talked a lot about Eddie's affinity for uh, female vocalists and uh, it's actually surprising that we don't really hear that as much so it's really cool to hear the guys um, connect with the wonderful talents that are out there I mean when you and I went out and we saw um uh, we were out at Dana Point, and we yes. we saw Brandy play there. Mm -hmm. uh, she was outstanding live, you know. And I think when we talked about, hey, you know, who would you think would be cool to, to hear a guest on a Pearl Jam record, or who would be cool to take over for a record or a show if Eddie was incapacitated for some reason, and and we talked about Brandy as a potential yeah. alternative, you know. Uh, I really really enjoyed this particular record myself. Um, so, some of the standout songs for me: Winter Solstice. 
uh, Lies Fade Away, Diamond in the Cold. Those songs, I think, are really, really cool. Specifically, Lies Fade Away. I mean, it, it's like a perfect blend of a Nirvana and a Soundgarden yeah. song. Um, I just think that there's a really, really cool tone to this record. And when you when you let it spin for a bit, um, you're kind of surprised, I think, by the twists and turns that the, the record takes. It's, it's There's a complexity to it. And there's a heaviness to it, which I really appreciated. And I think having the the contrast with the female uh, voices, it really does bring to the forefront um, kind of a, a soul. You know what I mean? There, there's a, a lyrical soul that kind of comes out that really Chris was probably the only one that could possibly replicate. Maybe Lane. Um, and I think what's, what's special about it is that uh, having these two wonderful, amazing talents at the forefront as vocalists just allows the record to kind of capture that essence that you really don't get in other Pearl Jam side projects. So I think that if you're looking for something very, very different and you, you, you kind of want an offshoot of, of that, that, that cool Seattle sound, uh, definitely check this one out. So I, I, I do, I don't have the, it was, did they ever do like a vinyl release of this one? I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Someone's gonna yell at us through the. Through well, the... I'd be curious to see what like what does it look like? Is it is it red and yellow? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, the, yeah. Cover. I don't know because because um, the color scheme is this gra- pretty much the same as the first one. Right. Exactly. So it's I, I'd just be curious to kind of see what it what it looks like. Um, but uh, yeah, I I was a, a a big fan of of that first record, Third Secret. Um, the one that you're citing, Second Third Secret, I thought was was pretty good too. Um, but that first one t- continues to stick with me just because of the impact, the indelible impact that it had when I first heard it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is really unique. And I think the, the second one, the novelty wore off, I guess. But I mean, that, that's kind of a cheap way of looking at it, only because it's <laughs> that doesn't in any way, shape or form uh, detract from the authenticity of, of the record itself. But uh, on the new one, I guess I, I don't know what song really stuck out to me i mean reckless room state of mind were really good i enjoyed climb aboard get from above let it burn was there one that really was like a standout to you um let me think here reckless room i liked a lot yeah let it burn i liked a lot um i think queens was pretty cool ditch there it felt it felt like i said very congruent um i felt like the first one for me was um, a little more peaks and valleys of what maybe it was just what I was into at the time. I don't know. It was only a year mm. ago, but um, it's interesting. So we we have both third secret records in the in our five spot. Yeah, man. All right. Um, so my, you know, I have to I have to admit something here. I I misread my notes and I just gave you my first honorable mention. Oh, well, <laughs> I misread my own notes. I was on the cusp by two records on the cusp and I um I just gave you an honorable mention so I gave you a bonus I didn't even mean to because I was looking I was like I have five left how is that possible well I'll I'll be brief on my actual five um it's Stone Gossard's Bayleaf and I, I think you can hear where Painted Shield came from it's got a great combination of soft and loud it's very unassuming but you can but it can sneak up on you with some great melodies, and, and which shouldn't come as a surprise considering it's Stone friggin' Gossard. <laughs> um, I think the addition of Peter Droge and, and Ty Woman 
singing uh, helped the good songs become better because Stone isn't the greatest singer. So when the songs were like, wow, this is like a good song, but like, am I going to feel a little pulled back because Stone's singing? No, he got a buddy of his and it sounds even better. So that was really cool. I think the variety of styles are really on display here. And this is uh, definitely, at least at the time, uh, I think it found its own place as it's different enough from Brad and very different from Pearl Jam. Uh, but you can see how Painted Shield would come later. There's, there's lots of similar vibes here. Not to mention Matt Chamberlain playing drums on two songs. And I think Stone allowing himself to kind of get weird actually makes some of the more closely Pearl Jam related tunes really shine like Bayleaf and Anchors. So I think this album has aged very nicely. I don't think I was too much of a fan when it first came out basically 20 years ago. Um, Maybe 19-year-old Jason didn't quite get it, but 41-year-old Jason very much does get it, and I think it's uh, quite good. Cool. I dig it. What's your, what's, what's your fourth? Where are you going? I'm going Rockford's. Nice. Yeah. You know, it's. I was always a big fan of Adelaide. I really like Distress. Um, we have a, a great, uh, is it like one of those um, interludes uh, where, where Pearl Jam will play like a kind of like a jam? And uh, I, I want to say that riff from Distress is a song that we have we have actually with Eddie singing over the top of it, and he's just kind of like riffing over it. Um, I'd have to do uh, do a little bit more research because I, for the life of me, I cannot remember now the name of the improv um, on that record or just the improv that Pearl Jam. It's a live improv, uh, but it's oh. the same riff as Distress. Like if you listen to distressed from the rock i think it's like the fourth or fifth track yeah fifth yeah so you just have to let the song play a bit and you'll hear that riff and uh for the life of me i can't remember what it was that the band played i'd have to dig it up Yo, wait, uh, what year or era it was that they played the, the uh oh uh, was well, it recent i mean this this album came out what like 13 years ago or whatever actually rockford's yeah, no, it was like 2000 i think right yeah it was like 23 years ago so um I I want to say that it's it's part of the uh, the binaural live set. It's, mm. it's, it's an improv. That would make set. sense. Yeah, he in there. I, like I, a, I, I will dig it up. Was it like a like a standalone jam, or was it a uh, like a like a rearview mirror jam? Um, I it, it's long. It goes on for like it. three and a half, four and a half minutes, or something like that. I'd have to I'd have to dig it up. Um. And maybe we can we can slide it in some. Maybe it'll be extra content for a picture. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. But uh, <clears throat> anyways, yeah. Rockfords. Rockfords, right? So what, what I liked about the Rockfords was um, just kind of hearing the the guitar work. You know what I mean? I really enjoyed when when Mike gets into something a little different, and he kind of gets a chance to kind of embrace that 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 pop rock side of him, but. The cool thing about this record is that because it because it came out in 2000, you you do still kind of get that old like, Seattle sound. You know what I mean? Like you, you hear shades of of some of that cool stuff that came out back then with like, um, you know, uh, Sublime and and uh, uh, Screaming Trees and Green River and stuff like that. I mean, you, that's what I enjoyed about this record. It, it, it felt like a throwback to me in a lot of ways. I didn't get a sense of like blazing new paths you know what i mean or trying to do something that was particularly different or even necessarily like blending of styles the way i did with third street it was it was more of just kind of like a um 
kind of felt almost like a, a um, what would you call it? Like a an homage to a sound or an homage to an era in a lot of ways. Well, and, I mean, that uh, was like the end of that sound, really. It was, right? It was really, and so, really changing in, in popular rock radio at that point. So It really was. Um, so for me, it was just kind of one of those records that it, it kind of felt like it was frozen in time. Mm. And it's fun to kind of go back to it. I wouldn't classify this as a super group, obviously, but I would definitely say that as a side project, um, it allowed kind of everyone to, to do what they do well and complement each other in ways that allowed the album and, and the songs to kind of occupy that, that cool space of nostalgia, you know? So yeah, it, it's a fun record to put on from time to time. Just kind of, it's, it feels it light too. Yeah. It's, it's obviously third street. It's, it's nowhere near as heavy as that. No. And it's not nearly as heavy as the Pearl Jam stuff or Soundgarden stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's that gang, the music feels just lighter and, and not so dark and heavy. And, and I think that's a nice compliment to the rest of, to the rest of what those guys do. So, yeah. uh, my fourth choice here is into the wild. Ooh. It's the ultimate vibe record of the bunch and much more singer songwriter production. For many obvious reasons, it's it's very Ed forward. He sounds like he's definitely elevated above the music more so than usual. I don't know if this is for effect or if just that's how they felt like producing it, um, but it definitely stands out more. Um, either way, the soundscape immediately works for the movie it was written for. I mean, it, mostly shorter compositions that illustrate and provide beautiful mental images of someone, you know, backpacking to their truth. All the songs fit together under one umbrella, but you have very distinct qualities, like chapters in a book. And perhaps it's the range of instruments Ed used on the record, which at the time, we as listeners had to have been pretty intrigued to hear, as we'd only ever heard Ed play guitar in a uke um, once. And he, he really opened up the palette there, I think. You know, like, like someone finally exposed to a, a food court after they've been served, you know, one cuisine their entire life. Even if that cuisine was delicious, all of a sudden there's all these flavors. And there's an earthy imperfection to these recordings. And Ed sounds, I think, as pure as ever. He feels kind of released a bit, at least by comparison to the depressed and tired sounding performances on Riot Act. So on the heels of that record, and this is, I think, what, right after um, Avocado came out, you feel like he's just, maybe I don't want to say the shackles are off, but he feels a little bit like he can express things that maybe he couldn't express before, and we got into the wild. And at the time, I was like, this is very interesting. I didn't know a number of the songs were covers at the time, but like it all just fit really well together in a in a way that was unique that I hadn't heard Ed do before. So I really like that, that that record. That one took me a bit, believe it or not, it actually took me a bit to kind of get into. It was such a departure, mm. you know what I it mean? It was. From, yeah. from what I was I was used to. So, But uh, yeah, it's definitely, I think, iconic in the sense of like Pearl Jam lore, you know, this mm-hmm. this record, especially when paired with the, the gravity of the film. So I like that call. It was a good one. What do you got next? I'm going random, man. RNDM. So I, uh, 
I specifically the, the, their debut 2012, not not the 2016 album. Although I will say the 2016 uh, follow up is an outstanding record. Uh, I if you're looking for some like two, arguably two of the best tracks that they've ever released, I I think as an album the the debut is is a more cohesive release. But Stray and Trouble, uh, I think, are, are probably two of their better songs. And uh, that comes off Ghostwriting, which is from 2016. Uh, but in terms of records, like if, it, if you said, hey, like, give me a random album to li- listen to, uh, or in DM, I, mean, <laughs> I feel like they, I, I've heard them referred to as both random and RNDM. So I guess it just depends on <laughs> how you want to look at them. But uh, I think the first record was a bit more cohesive. And, and what, what I liked about it was, first of all, I think Joseph Arthur is a very underrated singer. Um, he's just got a perfect cadence for the music. And uh, I mean, obviously, Richie Stuverett, we we saw Rich come aboard and, and, and help out in this last tour, right? So yeah, it was great, great to see that happen. And it's always cool when kind of you, you you get some of these folks coming on board, um, but I think that the cool thing about Joseph Arthur is that I mean the guy's like a relentless touring artist. You know what I mean? The guy's like built for the road. He's like the rush of solo artists. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that with this this particular record, um, it kind of captures in a lot of ways kind of that that wandering roving spirit of his, um, which I thought was was pretty cool. Um, when you listen to to some of these songs, um, it it's it has a unique sound to it that's very very different. And I think that when when you think about Jeff and you think about kind of like the off the beaten path that he has a, a tendency to go down, what's unique about this particular record is that a lot of what the, the, those, those pop sensibilities and kind of those those uh, uh, it, it, he doesn't do a lot of um, what I would say like. Uh, what you'll get with Matt, where it's just these, you know, off syncopated patterns and, and just really, really different tunings and things like that. I think with with Jeff, it's more about just experimentation. I mean, the guy is just very a free much spirit, so. you yeah. know. And I, you know, you think about a song like "Dance of the Clairvoyance." I mean, that's Jeff through and through. Uh, but even lyrically, there's just an abstractness to so much of what what um, what he has a tendency to write. And I think that this particular record here there's a cohesiveness to it that kind of belies that you know what i mean and and i uh, that's what i i really appreciate about it um and i want to say that jeff met joseph arthur through three fish is that right it's oh, kind of like man. a, a you're testing like my they, knowledge there well the, i, I want to say they met then and then they like continued to, to stay in touch and then like over a decade later they they finally had like a jam session and then rich jumped on board and then here we go, right? We, we end up getting this this debut album, Acts. And uh, I think it was recorded in less than a week. Um, mm. it's, it's, and that's what's cool about it. It just has this like cohesive groove. And there's a familiarity there, you know? Like it, it just, it, they feel comfortable with each other. Um, it, there's a lot of slow burning guitar riffs. Uh, you know, Arthur has that kind of like just settling into a hammock type of delivery. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of atmosphere to a record like this, which is what I appreciate about what Jeff does. Uh, he's really, really great when it comes to to creating kind of a soundscape. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, and, and we saw that later with the with the uh, under the banner of heaven. You know, exactly. Literally right. a soundtrack. Good call. Good call. 
So that really shines through on these records, especially on the the the, um, the, the, the sophomore effort. Um, but with this particular one here, uh, you do get some some Pearl Jam leanings here. Uh, Darkness is a song on this record that that kind of feels a little bit like what you would have heard Jeff compose, uh, you know, early early Pearl Jam era. You know what I mean? Like when he was doing um, Tremor Christ and Nothing Man and stuff mm. like that. So I do think that you, if if you're looking for kind of those 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 connections to tether you to to Pearl Jam. Um, you'll get that there, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, but I, I do think that the album still rocks. I mean, you, you know, walking in New York, look out. I mean, some of these, uh, even the, the cherries in the snow, which is a bit more on like the folk rock side. Um, there's just a lot of harmony. There's a lot of tone. There's a lot of atmosphere. And I think that when I'm looking for a side project, I want to feel something a little different. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I appreciate about what, what Pearl Jam's doing now is that they're constantly pushing the envelope, trying to evolve. So what I like about Jeff is that when you listen to a Jeff side project, it, you know it's going to be completely you know, oh, 100%. marching to the beat of his own drum, you know what yeah. I mean, so to speak. And I think this record does that, but it it, it's, it does so in a surprisingly um, pleasing way. And that's not a knock on his other content. It's just I think his other content is very, there's a cerebral nature to it. You kind of have to be in the mood for it. You know what I mean? It's not mm. something you just like yeah. seek out and put on the put on you know what i mean i mean you could put acts on while you're cooking dinner you know what i mean you you could you could have company over and just have that playing in the background <laughs> while you guys are just socializing I mean, it, it's it's just a solid record so i like the choice i like the choice um where am i now i'm at three so oh baby this is getting harder uh i'm gonna stick with uh edward vetter mm. and i'm gonna go with his earthling record um one of Ed's most comfortable and confident performance for years. Oh God, what does that mean? Well, I think it just means there's less pressure to be whatever it is you think you need to be within a band. Or you've got to put some amount of battle armor on when you're dealing with four other guys who have strong opinions and, and decent egos, and for good reason. He didn't have to fight for anything on this thing. You know, he he was free to be 100% him, and it shows on this record in mostly great ways. You know, Into the Wild, like I said earlier, felt like Ed's dip into the kiddie pool of do-it-all-yourself. Yet he was kind of given uh, uh, content floaties by Sean Penn. Like, hey, (laughs) here's the story. Write to this, please. So he had some guardrails, right? Earthling comes out 15 years later. Ed is a much more seasoned person. What we get is everything he's learned and maximized all the interpersonal capital that he's accrued over the years, all on one record. If he did another record, and I'm sure he will eventually, I don't know that it's that it's going to sound as Ed as this. It, it sounds like he put all of the uh, influence cards on the table and played them. And I think the production style of Andrew Watt is the only contentious point and i say that because you you probably either love or hate his wall of sound style um and i think on some songs it works others less so so for that it gets maybe docked a little bit but that said some of the ideas he had and obviously he co-wrote a lot of this is very impressive so as a total piece of art i really like it i find it strong however it could have one maybe two less songs maybe but that said I think I think it's it, it just 
as as released as Ed sounded on Into the Wild, which I really liked, he sounds more so um, comfortable with who he has become over these years on this one, and it, and it shows. Good call. That's my number two as well. Giddy up. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, you know, you, you cited the comfort within himself, uh, the ability to kind of channel all the currency he's built up over the years and just kind of embrace his stature in, in the rock world. And I think that the cool thing is cashing that currency in and saying, you know what? I can ask uh, Elton John and <laughs> Steve, Stevie Wonder and Ringo Starr to be on my record. And yeah, you know what? Like They're not going to be like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that that's pretty cool. Like to hear Stevie play harmonica on a garage. Rock oh my song, God. It's, you know? I, I still mean, love like, that. What, what are we doing here? It's amazing. You know? Um, and, uh, just, just to hear Elton on the keys and, and there's just some really, really cool things happening. It just feels, it, it, it doesn't feel like a cohesive record the way, uh, some of these other records that we've talked True. about. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it feels like, um, just an elongated, uh, cameo laden jam session. You know what I mean? Like Eddie coming in with these kind of rough sketches of songs and then these superstars come through and, and they just like, hey, you know, let's let, let's sit down and jam for a bit. And then this is what we get. Yeah, <laughs> a stamp, you know. And uh, I think, however, it is in a lot of ways a personal um, resolution for Eddie. Uh, you know, this is the same reclusive, introverted artist who really eschewed and kind of pushed away from the attention that fame brought Eddie through, through the success of Pearl Jam uh, via 10 and, and Versus, etc. And what I like about Earthling is he, he fully embraces that. He comes full circle, like you mentioned, and embraces that. But we don't lose the personal touch. And that ending haunting moment of listening to his father sing on that closing track and Eddie have that duet with him. Um, and, and what the cool thing is, it's like it's like this jazz, this like lounge jazz song that his dad's singing on, right? It has this like Sinatra My Way feel to it. And then we just kind of get into this like really kind of bizarre, trippy, um, it's not like acid jazz, but I'm, it, it's just kind of this like devolving into this kind of um, subliminal uh, expose, if you will, this musical expose into you know connecting in a lot of ways it's it's kind of like an epilogue to release and oh yeah i just really i mean i was it was an arresting moment for me as a pearl jam fan uh and as somebody who has followed the band and kind of paid attention to eddie's story and kind of appreciated how that has influence and and impact in his songwriting and uh and how that thread continues to to reverberate uh it, in all the songs that have come since. And I think that this record, it didn't become this, you know, I, I'm going to cite Santana as an example, right? I mean, you, you listen to that okay. record that Santana did in the 90s and you had all these guest stars coming out on it, you know, um, is it Rob Thomas, Rob Thomas. And, and a bunch of other folks. And I mean, th- that record was a smashing success, right? I think you won a Grammy for that one. Um, you know, th- this record felt less like, hey, let me just do some stuff and, you know, I'm going to just push my weight around and, and, and bring on a bunch of stars to to elevate me and in a lot of ways i feel like santana was he was kind of a um, i don't want to say like a faded star but i mean he, he you know you think of santana as this icon of the, the 70s right and then here's these these 90s studs that come on board and, and it's this kind of reinvention right it's, I didn't it's the reverse 
Like Edwin, Edwin this is the opposite, this is right? Eddie's bringing he's bringing Ringo and Stevie Wonder and Elton John. You know, what I mean, his dad. He should have brought you know like Sean Mendez on or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. You know, like like where's where's um, where's uh, Miley Cyrus and all that? Like you 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 don't get that. You know what I mean? He's not trying to catapult himself into into some level of relevance. In a lot of ways, uh, this felt a lot like what um, Robert Plant was dealing with uh, Alison Krauss, mm. where. They're just kind of like finding a sound and then just kind of letting, just letting talent permeate a recording session. You know what I mean? Like just getting greatness together and just like seeing where it goes. Um, Let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. Is, do you think that this record is a record that he made where it was like, if I never made a record again, this is who I am? Yes, uh, in a lot of ways I do because one of the reasons that Better Man, which was recorded before Pearl Jam was a band, that it took as long as it did for it to show up and we had to wait for, for Vitology to come out and that was almost reluctantly put on the record was because Brendan O'Brien was insisting that this is a, a song that can be a, a successful track. And I think that there was this belief on Eddie's part that it was too poppy. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a, a, a part of Eddie Vedder that he has long avoided wanting to share um there's a connection a, a, a love of, of music and i feel like if it's the ramones like i'm gonna broadcast that to the world you know i'm gonna like shave my head and i'm gonna go you know drop a bunch <laughs> yeah. of f-bombs and you know what i mean it's like okay man yeah but <laughs> it's i mean there's a lot of stuff that you like that's amazing and cool and it's okay to like that you know what i mean it's okay to write a, a you know a salisbury hill style track it's okay to sound a little bit like Tom Petty, you know what I mean, and, yeah. and just like embrace that, have some fun with it, and um, I don't know. So it, it was a fun record. I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of Pearl Jam fans that uh, really had a hard time with this record. I think that they just yeah, listened no, to I, it and they just yeah, yeah. Which I understand. You know, it's like you're, you're going in there thinking it's basically Pearl Jam, just more Eddie centric. You know, like you think of Eddie's solo, uh, or I shouldn't say it, you think of the songs Eddie writes for Pearl Jam, and you're thinking that's what you're going to get in a solo record, right? But th that's not what you got. Instead, you. <laughs> you I mean, got listen, this... the record opens with Invincible. You go, what the hell is this? Which I love. Man. I love that I mean, song. But yeah, it, so... it's not what you would think, is, especially after Into the Wild and the Yuke album. Um... Those three albums could not be more diametrically different from each other. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is, that to me, I think is, is cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I would say if, if, if you want to hear Eddie Vedder just being Eddie Vedder, like go pick up Earthling. Um, you know, uh, I, I will say that you know, that the Eddie Vedder and Elton John duet picture, it's it's very it has like a cool jangle feel to it, but it's mm -hmm. it's definitely um, I wouldn't say it's an ill-advised ex executed track, but it's. It, it doesn't I, I think that there's something about that song you know Mrs. Mills I think is a great example of the song that shines you know what I mean so I, I would say that it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Earthling is a masterpiece uh, because I, I don't necessarily think that but I do believe that it's pretty cool that when Eddie Vedder comes out with a solo album, you don't have a clue what it's going to sound like. You, I mean, yeah. for all I know, the next record he does is him and and uh, you know three strings in the background, and it's just his voice acapella yeah. in between tracks with you know violins and fiddles and stuff like that. Like we literally have no idea what we're going to get with this, or maybe it's a it's it's him at a piano 
for for seven tracks sure. you yeah. know that it, brand new eddie vetter uh, ep with uh you know it's like and the one the one rocking song is the single every other song is just like you know him and a pump organ <laughs> <laughs> i mean it it's kind of cool you know it's, it's just different so i i would say for me it um it does a really really great job of being um ambitious without necessarily being pretentious and i think that that that's hard to do when you're he was ambitious in that i think he said i'm going to be unapologetically myself and i'm going to call on all those favors and we'll see if they work and he took a chance on it and i think for the most part it did it did yeah it did uh okay my number two choice my number two choice is going to be the first brad record shame uh the production on this is spectacular. It's everything I want a record to sound like. Everything is bright, clear, but not overproduced. It's still raw and feels in the moment. It's very dynamic as well. Uh, from the softer stuff like the opener Buttercup to the dirty funk of 20th century, you know, you got Regan's drumming. It's some of my favorite drumming in, in memory. I just love how he drums on that record. The band sounds like they're having so much fun. And Sean Smith, put something put he put something on the map he put himself he put his aura he put something that i never heard of out there to be listened to and demanded to be listened to um there are certainly moments where the album feels maybe rooted in its time period of 1993 but there are way more moments where it just sounds like it could be from any time you know that that's the great thing about classic rock is it kind of transcends fads and phases and trends and maybe I'm just old, but rock music to me, my favorite kind, uh, or in my opinion, the quote unquote truest kind, whatever the hell that means to you, sounds kind of like this. Um, sonically speaking, and the variety of vibes and riffs and melodies, I think it's just super, super underrated. It's got, when I think about all the bands that I love and what I think those bands' superpowers are, I get a little bit of that in almost every song on this record, and I don't think I realized that until in the last couple of years. I knew that record was out there. I heard a couple of songs. I knew I liked the songs. I never gave the full listen. I put the vinyl on the other day when it came in the mail. It's like fucking hell, this is solid, man. So I, I think it's super underrated. If you have never listened to any of the Brad records, start at the beginning with Shame. I think it's fantastic. I never connected with Brad as much as you did. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I'm, I always loved, um, is it Screen? But I actually prefer the iTunes session version more oh, than I, I... Yeah, it's, I don't know. Oh, it just had a cool, like, um, nor feel to it. Um, it's just, there's a darkness to that song that really seemed to be captured in that, that performance. So, other than that, though, I mean, none of the songs really spoke to me. Interesting. Um, which is interesting because my number one pick is is an album where every single one of the songs spoke to me, and it is to me the definition of a supergroup, and that would be Mad Season. Mm. So that that to me, I think, uh, is the number one uh, side project that that I feel has come out of of Pearl Jam, and uh, I would put it up there with Temple. To be honest with you, uh, I mean it it's it it is a special record. Um, you think about the talent in this band 
Uh, you get Lane Staley from Alice in Chains on vocals. You have Barrett Martin drumming from Screaming Trees. Obviously, Mike playing guitar. And uh, the drummer at the time was was John Baker Saunders, which was interesting because bassist. actually, they, uh, sorry, pardon me, the bassist. But what was interesting was they were, it looked like they were trying to put something together. Yeah. And actually, like in the late 90s and, and do a um, a sophomore effort, like a follow-up to Above. And John Baker Saunders passes away. So they lose their bassist and they're like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to pursue this. And then of course, Lane dies a couple of years later. So, and that was, that was the end of the project, unfortunately. So all we ever got was above. Um, and Mark Lanigan, obviously who mm-hmm. contributed vocals to, to that record. <clears throat> and uh, he, uh, I think came aboard and kind of helped out up until his, his passing uh, last year. But what I, what I love about this record is it is it's literally what Pearl Jam would sound like with with I think Lane Staley as a vocalist. I mean, it's like the mm. perfect blend of Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's just a special record, man. It really, really is. I mean, when you think about the style of the record, you there's there's blues on there, which is cool. There's 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 kind of like a cool uh, jazz sound to some of the songs. Um, obviously, there's some big big arena style rock as well um but it's just the perfect cross you know it's the perfect um balance and blending of these two these two bands and i i feel like there's an honesty to lane in most of his singing um and i was i was curious if i go back to above and i re-listen and revisit to some of those lyrics does that same honesty shine through? And to, to be frank with you, I, I almost feel like he was even more honest. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> you it was, it was, yeah, there was something very um, spiritual about his his lyrics on this record, and uh, and I think that there was there was a, an elevation of what everybody does well when you listen to this, and it, it was rushed. It is a rushed record. I think that they. They finished this record very, very quickly. It was like ten days um, or something like that. It was quick. It, yeah, it it didn't take long to do. I feel like they did it in about a week, and then Lane took a few days to kind of do his thing, right? Add add, add some extra vocals, and then they rehearsed it. I don't know a couple of times, and they did a handful of shows, and then boom, here you go, March fourteenth, nineteen ninety five. Here's the record, you know. But I mean, it's certified gold. You know, which is saying something for you know a, a side project. River of Deceit is is is, I think, one of the the best songs of that era, just in general. I mean, it, yeah. if if you want to think about the Seattle sound, I mean, it's hard to not think of a song like that in your top, I don't know, twenty five or fifty, whatever you want to do. So I I just think it's a fantastic record. So. Well, I 100% agree with you. I've got Mad Season at number one. And uh, if you're wondering, yes, I am a sucker for early to mid-90s rock. (laughs) What can I say? But what I said earlier about uh, Brad's shame also applies here. There are some forms of music that transcend, transcend? transcend, uh, trends and time periods. And to me, the only thing dating this album is the sound of Lane's voice purely because he died in 2002. We didn't hear anything from him past the year 1996. You know, put anyone else's voice on it and it could be from a number of decades, but you you can't remove Lane. So 
the nakedness, you said honesty, the nakedness of his performance and lyrics. It's, it's, it's a hallmark of Alice in Chains, and it's perhaps even better here. It, is this the ultimate expression of Lane? I think it's arguable. And, and speaking of, of naked, there are fewer records where I feel stress, feel more like I'm in the room with them than this. And by that I mean, the record sounds like it wasn't produced, if that makes sense. It sounds like, you know, there's a, there's a limited amount of effects and compressors. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there was, but it sounds like it's just kind of raw to the board. And I love that. You mentioned Bear Martin's drum, drumming. His snare drum, it cuts through everything like I'm sitting right next to the damn kid. It, it just, yeah. it, it, the, I don't know how they, they adjusted the frequencies or they were able to like just find everything had its space in, in the spectrum and just cuts through. Mike McCready is in a different place across this record. So many of his leads give me the f- same feeling that I got in the Reach Down solo, for example. Like, he's just diving deep within himself and willing notes to happen. Like someone said, show me uh, Jimi Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan without playing Jimmy and Stevie. He's like, okay, mad season record, here you go. Uh, so many of these songs are long, and yet I am never bored. Never bored. No, they are long. I mean, I think the shortest <laughs> song on here is four minutes and eleven song, eleven seconds, and that's all alone. The very last track. Yeah, I mean, everything else is like else seven, eight, is six minutes, like five like and that. seven and a half minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so many of these songs are are, are just they. Th- there's the ebbs and the flows of the composition, the dynamics of them. You know, there's a, there's a reason the surviving members of Chris, um, surviving members of the band, uh, Mike and Barrett joined up with Chris Cornell and Duff McKagan and put on that show with the Scale Symphony some years later yeah. playing a lot of these songs because they demand that respect and they they, they they fill the room even when they're not loud and heavy and that's a really cool thing like like um, Wake Up it just it it fills the room if, if it's not the music itself it's what the music is uh, uh, I guess I'm getting real trippy here, but like it's infusing something into the ethos of what's around you. You feel encapsulated by the vibe of the song. Right. But really, this album is a near false exhibition of what the era of music could yield when everyone is firing in all cylinders. And I and I include Mark Lanigan in that as well. My only wish is that, to your point, John Baker Saunders' bass um, was higher in the mix because he was that fucking good. Yeah, no, that's a good. It's that's a little a good low for me, but like, God damn it, did he kill it? So, listen, man, you said it as well. This is a record that stands above most, um, especially from that decade for me, and it's it's right right there, um, shaking hands with Temple of the Dog. So, I know we we put that um, above everybody else, but Matt Season's right there. My goodness, yeah, and if you do want to look into the uh, deluxe edition that came out, which had the, the live at the Moor uh, yes. recording, which yeah. is just, I mean, it's to, just so to hear cool. them play live. What a hell of a show that was. Uh, but you do get Lanigan uh, writing lyrics for, for those three bonus tracks that show up. I think it was a locomotive black book of fear and, and yeah. slip away. Yeah. And, uh, and I, that, that, that was cool to kind of hear that extension as it were of, uh, I mean, obviously it would have been great to, to hear lane on, on some, some tr- unheard tracks, you know what I mean? Just to hear that voice one more time on something new would, would have been what a treat that would have been. But uh, uh, lo and behold, I mean, obviously having now lost Mark uh, to be able to go back and, and hear those tracks is it's kind of a cool little Easter egg too. So 
Yeah. Well, I mentioned a, uh, I inadvertently gave you my, my first, first out, uh, honorable mention of the second and third secret record. I, I will give a tip of the cap to painted shield two. And, uh, I did, I did mention under the banner of heaven soundtrack. I know it's not really a record per se, but man, it's like creepy in the coolest way as possible. So that was really awesome. Anything else that kind of like was, uh, was a, that's, 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 that's damn good for you. Every once in a blue moon, I'll find myself going back to 80s Uke album. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I heard that in a long time, actually. No, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, uh, that, 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 that's a fun one. So I, I don't know if it's not in my top five, but I mean, you got to be I, at I the beach or something. You got to be in a, in a mood for that kind of thing. Just maybe hanging in the pool in like a floaty chair with a, with a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, if you're, if you're in Detroit in, in uh, December, it doesn't really hit the same way. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm curious what you guys think um especially removing temple of the dog from the equation what are your favorite side project records there are a number of them paul and i just gave you essentially 11 uh with only two crossover so yeah which a lot great, to choose from way. a lot of different styles if you're into punk if you're into experimental if you're into soulful classic rock if you're into blues whatever there is something for you here outside the first ring of Pearl Jam. So we'd love to know what you guys are listening to. Uh, That's tangential to the band. But for now, we're going to move on to our Lyric of the Week. Lyric of the Week this week, we're going to take a song from a side project. And it's from uh, a group that was not included in this list, and that is Temple of the Dog. And that song is Reach Down. All right, Paul. So, reach down. It's just over 11 minutes long. It's a Chris Cornell pen track. Holy Moses, there's a lot happening. Uh, What do you got for this one? Well, I mean, this record obviously was a, a bit of a eulogy for um, for Andy Wood and uh, "Say Hello to Heaven" uh, and "Reach Down." I think were were written in memory, uh, just a few weeks after after Andy passed uh, back in 1990. Man, too young, by the way, 24. Can you believe that? What a, what what a shining star he was. And and, and, and by the way, to... I don't want to. I don't want to. No, I do. I do want to. I do want to plug the Lance Mercer interview from last week, because he talks about knowing him and what it felt to him at the time, having get, gotten to know him and, and photographed him and yada, yada. So again, if you're an Andy Wood fan, uh, go check that out. Yeah. And and it's it, what a cool by proxy for us, right? Just to, yeah. I mean, we'll never have the the privilege and the honor. And so to, to chat with somebody who, who knew Andy uh, and just to kind of get a sense of that, that magnetism, you know what I mean? Um, you, know, you listen to malfunction and and you, you get a real real sense of just the <clears throat> the charisma and the presence that, that Andy had and a song like reach down uh, is like you said it's very very long but it was it was purposefully long you know Chris basically said let's let's just go ridiculous with with the, with the length of this this song and hey that that's that's how we're gonna lead off the record you know and and I think at the time in in true 
you know, nineties grunge rock fashion. Like it was a, a kind of an F you middle finger to the record company. Right. In the same way that, uh, bugs was for Eddie on, uh, as it was probably a uh, Foxy mom on, on Vitology and not for you. Uh, but it's crazy to think that that, 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 that was the first single that they wanted to be, <laughs> you know, uh, it has a really, really nice, uh, just great jam to it. You know, you, you get a lot of that, like, uh, Johnny Winter, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, just blues rock, you know. Yeah. Eddie, I mentioned you know, Mike uh, willing, uh, Mike, Jimmy Mike and Stevie, Whaling. but like <laughs> for three and a half minutes, he's just doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it's cool to just kind of have Chris just f- encourage that, you know, and we didn't get a lot of that on Pearl Jam records, you know, but when you see Pearl Jam live, you see a lot of that, you know, you see Mike just, just going for it, you know five six seven times a show and uh and i think that's what makes going to a pearl jam show one of one of the many things that makes it such a treat so if you're looking for you know an album like in cut in a studio like what happens when mike is just allowed to be unhinged you know just Mm. just unchain the beast man and i think reach down is, is your song for that so uh, great, great song, and uh, you know, paired with "Say Hello to Heaven," I think is a, a wonderful way to to say goodbye to Andy Wood. And I think it's a one-two punch, right? You know, "Say Hello to Heaven" is uh, it feels like a proper eulogy, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas "Reach Down," it feels like more of the celebration of life kind of eulogy. You know, th- this is how this guy touched the world is what yeah. I get from this one. Um, and, and these lyrics specifically, um, you know, nothing best, nothing but the best for the golden boy. And <clears throat> so much of that era of music that we love is defined by death, sorrow, just depressing stuff, just sad, heavy topics. And yeah, this is about someone who's passed on, but you flip it on its head. And it's the soul of the song is so ever present. And, and to your point about Mike just getting, being allowed to go off. And I think I remember um, his headset fell off in the middle of recording that solo and he didn't have the backing track to it. And he's just going off, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, the, the, the uh, we'll call it the Irish wake, you know, the celebration of life version. He, he, Chris is telling the story about how this guy influenced everyone around him and made everyone feel good and that's just a great way to send somebody off you know everybody can feel you know down about someone they care about dying i mean think about pearl jam's comeback that's that's a that's a yearning for someone who's gone it's it's depressing it's hard but and everybody can connect with that who's lost somebody close but like i said the flip side to that is how about we 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 take those feelings inside we we accept them we feel them but then we go okay this person impacted us in so many great ways. That's why we feel bad. You know, when there's a down, there's an up. Well, let's talk about the up. And this mm-hmm. narrative that he wrote about, about Andy is so great. And I love that it just, it's on the backside essentially of, of say hello to heaven. So it's a lovely song. It's again, it kicks ass. It's got a great groove to it. Uh, My God. Yeah. This is, I love the celebration of life aspect of this song. And I think it's, I think this the solo from Mike underpins all of that. So I think it makes sense then to find and listen to the best live version of this bad boy in our live cut of the week. Ready?
So live cut of the week. The, listen, there's only five actual performances of this song where you've got basically Pearl Jam and Chris. Uh, I think two or three yeah. of them. Two, no, two of them were in 91 and 92. Those recordings either don't exist or are unlistenable. Right. You've got two from PJ20 and Alpine Valley. Mm-hmm. Those are very good, but they're not soundboard. And you could, this is how weird this is. You could get them soundboard if you got the Temple of the Dog like box set reissue mm-hmm. that came out a few years back. But that's video for me. They ripped the audio. It's a whole it's a whole thing. So what are we left with? Santa Barbara, baby. <laughs> October 28th, 
everybody. And this is, uh, well, this would have been the first time in, in 11 years that they got together. This is a benefit show. Um, you can't find this entire show in soundboard. It does not exist. You can find audience recordings only. However, the band thought better of it and said, you know what? Let's pull the soundboard cut of this song. Uh, out of the vault and make it a fan club single. So the O3 fan club single has this on it. So wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You've got, don't you amazing... miss those, those fan club singles that would come out three years later. That's okay. <laughs> Maybe that's why they stopped doing them. Cause they're like, ah, yeah. oh, fuck it. Yeah. Um, this is just, it's just so good. I think the Santa Barbara bowl, if you haven't been there, it's a, it's a small venue. Uh, it's intimate. It's probably why they chose it for that, for that uh, benefit. And like I said, it was the first time in 11 years. And Chris sounds amazing. The it, the bands sound like, wow, we know this is special. Obviously, the performances of PJ20 were special as well. Sure. But uh, A, we don't have them in the soundboard. And two, I think this one was maybe a touch better. I would agree. This has been a uh, a fun trip outside the uh, the walled city of Pearl Jam. It's a great analogy. There, there's a lot of, uh, uh, how should you say, fertile land, right? Outside those walls. So. The crops be grown, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, if, like Paul said, if you are inclined to um, spread your wings, if, maybe you haven't listened to those side projects before. Uh, like I said, there are a lot of them. And you may not like all of them. You may find some stuff strange or not to your taste buds, but like, I'm telling you, you're going to find something you like that's that's got one of these guys attached to it. We didn't mention um, Matt Cameron's solo record that came out like a decade ago. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. So go check it out and, and report back. Tell us what your five favorite side project records are, because I'd be curious to know. Yep, as would I. Well, thank you for listening once again. Thank you to anybody who has fed the algorithm again. It's about getting other people to come under the tent and, and join this conversation that we have. 
Um, speaking of conversations, we're going to be doing our next fan roundtable in the next uh, month or two. There's some scheduling to be sorted there, but it's the Netherlands. The Netherlands are coming to town, baby. The Dutch. Yeah, and, uh, and if you're a new listener, Ruff, we we do these from time to time. We we gather uh, wonderful Pearl Jam fans from around the world, and uh, we pick a specific location, right? Australia mm-hmm. or um, Poland, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we we ask those folks to come aboard, and we just dish on all things Pearl Jam, and they share these amazing, wonderful stories about what it's like not only to be a Pearl Jam fan. Um, in other parts of the world, but also what it's like to to follow the band and and kind of jump on these these tours. I mean, some of these folks have their only experience seeing the band is in Europe or or abroad, you know. And uh, that's an experience I've never had. I've never yeah. seen Pearl Jam outside of the U.S. Right, and we have these roundtables where some of the folks we talk to that's the only place they've seen Pearl Jam, and so it's it's pretty cool. Uh, and it goes back to what you said, right, which is just the tent. And being underneath it and that conversation and continuing to expand it and grow it and learn and be informed by it and, and form connections. And I welcome all of you if you if you weren't familiar, right? Uh, rather than just waiting for us to to chat with these wonderful people in the Netherlands, go back, right? Go back. A lot of this stuff's evergreen, man. Go back and check out some of those other round tables and uh, get those perspectives because they they've got some amazing stories to share. Speaking of perspectives, Paul, we we we've tasked our listeners to send us uh, their art. Give us give us what would you if you you hear the you hear the the phrase "State of Love and Trust" podcast, mm-hmm. uh, "State of Love and Trust" a Pearl Jam podcast. What do you think art wise? And Wait, could you put it on a sticker or a beer coaster? And uh, there's a contest out there. We've got a number of submissions already. We're gonna give them to our patrons to vote on and they're going to help us figure out which one to make into a uh the next sticker slash beer coaster slash uh i don't know flag or something um yeah i mean it, it, it's cool the, the the imagery is very evocative and if you're listening and you have not yet wanted to or have not yet been able to participate or just didn't know we were doing this uh, i encourage you to uh throw your hand at this it's it's really really fascinating and uh, if if nothing else, like just have some fun with it and let some folks see it. You know, it's not even about us. It's just it's our ability to appreciate just how <laughs> absolutely talented some of the folks that listen to us really are. A lot more than I am. So. <laughs> if you're interested, uh, let us know. Get in touch. Uh, I think all of our social channels have something pinned uh, of what that contest entails, all the details and stuff yeah. like that. So get in there, check that out. Send us your your version. And uh, we're going to pick the winner in the next couple of weeks. So um, you still got a little bit of time. But uh, there it is. That's it. That's the episode. Once again, thank you to you guys for listening, coming back week in and week out. We really do appreciate that. Anybody who's a patron, we really do appreciate you guys a ton. Like I said, you're helping us pick this next sticker. You've got extra content uh, coming your way. You already got some some really cool stuff. Um, We want to help you guys out and give you as much as we can um, beyond this show. And just tell your friends, like Paul always says, feed that algorithm. That's it. Um, We'll see you next week. Until we do, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Trust.